How you guys doing tonight? Man, all right. Well, you know, my wife and I have been trying to um, find, you know, just a good uh, deodorant that's like healthy, but, you know, still works. And so this amount of space is probably a good amount of space for you. If you're joining us online, you don't have to worry about it. Um, But man, it is good uh, to be with you guys Uh, tonight. We are continuing our time uh, together in the book of Ephesians as we've been traveling through it. And you know, I tell you what, um, the sovereignty of God in the life of our church being played out uh, in front of our very eyes as we've been traveling through the book of Ephesians in what has turned out to be perhaps one of the craziest years in my lifetime, maybe in yours as, as well, uh, unless you're very old and you went through like World War II or something. Uh, you know, 2020 has been a mess and it's been a wild, wild, wild time. And here we are, uh, you know, a few days after an election, which has literally just shown the best of what America has to offer. Um, and, and just how much we love one another and we're all in this and, and we're working for the common good together and, and there's no factions among us or uh, division or accusations or any of those kinds of things. Um, no, 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 we know that that's opposite of the truth. It's been a, a tough year in the United States. Here in Orlando, it's been a tough year as well. I mean, an absolutely uh, unprecedented, or is it unprecedented? Unprecedented. Unprecedented? I can't tell. Which one? I think Saturday Night Live did a skit about that. But it's been a crazy year impacting the tourism industry. Um, My wife and I were talking uh, just the other day and just kind of lamenting uh, over all that many of you have walked through and just kind of recognizing that like many people that we've uh, walked with in life for many years who have been a part of the the Walt Disney Company for many years, um, uh, one friend of ours, uh, was coming up on her 30th year. She was getting ready to have lifetime passes uh, and got that dreaded uh, phone call or email uh, that said, you're, you're no longer with the company. And she asked, like, is there any way that I can just stay long enough to get these passes? I'm so sorry. Um, and this is the world that we're living in. Some of you have received those phone calls. Some of you are waiting on uh, a, a phone call. Maybe you're in limbo. Maybe you're uh, holding on to a thread. All of us are in a different space in life based on where we've been in 2020. Uh, it has been a wild year. And as God's sovereignty would have it, we've been traveling through this letter that was written by the Apostle Paul about 2,000 years ago, uh, just shy of that, uh, to a region uh, in Asia Minor around Ephesus, where this letter would have been circulated uh, throughout the church. As, uh, as Paul is writing this letter, there's a man uh, who is rising to power in uh, the Roman Empire named Nero. Uh, and if you've heard of Nero, this is not a good person. Uh, Nero was ruthless. Um, he was famous for the way that he persecuted Christians. Uh, he wanted to build himself a really big palace, and so he burned down uh, uh, the city center in Rome and then blamed it on the Christians, which uh, gave way to some of the, the worst persecution uh, the early church ever experienced. And, and in the midst of this, as Nero is coming up into power, this is before that he, he did all of those things, but uh, this is the climate in which the Apostle Paul is writing. And Paul writes this incredibly beautiful letter called Ephesians that we get to experience 2,000 years later. And as God's sovereignty would have it, Mosaic would be walking through it during this crazy 
year. If you were with us last week, you know that we walked through Ephesians chapter six. And in Ephesians chapter six, uh, Paul does this super important thing uh, for us. And, and what he does is he, he gives a little bit of a definition to why it is this world is as crazy uh, as it is. And so often we make the mistake of believing the world is so crazy uh, because of the circumstances that we face in everyday life. We think that if our circumstances could just get a little bit better, then the world would be good for us. And what Paul actually argues is that, no, that is not the case because we are in a situation where we are actually in a battle. Uh, That we're not looking to experience our uh, best circumstantial life on this planet right now. But we instead are actually in a battle. And Paul talks about this battle in Ephesians chapter 6 in terms that help us understand the type of battle that we're fighting. Because so often when we look around at our circumstances, we find that the circumstances would be better if the people around us could just be better towards us. Amen? Uh, Maybe we have better managers. Maybe if we have uh, better roommates. Maybe if we have better uh, boyfriends or girlfriends or husbands or wives or, or best friends or whatever we may be experiencing, we look at the world around us and think, well, if If our circumstances uh, need to change, it's because the people around us are not providing the type of life that we really deserve. And what Paul says is actually, we are in a battle and it actually has nothing to do with the people around us. Sometimes the the, the people around us uh, remind us that we're in a battle, for sure. But our battle, Paul says in Ephesians 6, is not against, what does he say, flesh and blood, human beings. Our battle is not against things that that we can see even in this life. Paul says uh, our battle is not against flesh and blood, but it's against the rulers and authorities in heavenly places. In in Ephesians chapter 3 earlier, remember, Paul talks about this cosmic reality that we are walking through. He says that, that, that the church, our job as followers of Jesus, is to unfold and display the manifold wisdom of God to the entire cosmos. That the manifold wisdom of God would be made known through the church. That is the stakes that are at play. Is that we, the followers of Jesus, are invited to preach a sermon that not only human beings will be the recipients of, but literally all of God's creation, including angels and demons. Everything that has been created by God is looking to you and me, those of us who know Jesus. And they're saying, what does a life Believing in Jesus look like despite your circumstances, in the midst of your circumstances. Be they good, be they bad, be they in the middle. What does a life look like when it is following Jesus and the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places are asking us to preach them that sermon? And our stage just happens to be 2020, ladies and gentlemen. Good for us. And I don't know about you, but for me, when I think about my everyday life, I sure would rather stand up on a stage for 45 minutes and just literally talk than have the whole world watching everything I think, say, or do 24 hours a day and seven days a week. Can I get an amen? Some of you guys are like, uh, public speaking is terrifying, and I would rather uh, allow everyone to see my life than to stand up on a stage for 45 minutes. 
But for most of us, if we were to take it to that extreme, to that level where not only are we on a stage, but like literally people could see our our lives 24 hours a day, seven days a week. That's a pretty intimidating thing because many of us say, think, do things that if others were to be able to witness would would wreck us. (laughs) But but that is the stake. That is the, the invitation that God is saying, hey, I want you to journey with me and partner with me in displaying my glory to all the nations and to the ends of the earth and to the entire cosmos. You want in? And when we find that that our stage is 2020, when we find that our circumstances are difficult, when we find that that perhaps uh, this is a really big calling and there are really tough circumstances and I'm not even that good at following Jesus in the first place, if, if this is left up to just me, we're in big trouble. And maybe you feel that way. And actually what Paul is going to reveal to us is that's a good thing. That we are not meant to engage in this battle on our own strength. That we're actually meant to step into this battle. That battle that we were singing about just a few moments ago. That battle that belongs to the Lord. That that when we fight, we don't fight with our own ability, but we fight it on our knees. This battle that we are engaged in is not a battle that we're meant to fight on our own, but it's a battle that we are meant to cling desperately to the one who made us so that we can fight this battle well. So let's grab our Bibles. Let's open it up to Ephesians and let's hear what the Apostle Paul wants to say to us about this battle. As we jump into Ephesians chapter 6 together, and you'll find it uh, somewhere, wherever uh, it lands in your Bibles, I guess. If you're using, if you happen to be using uh, one of the Mosaic Bibles, I'll give you a page number, but that's probably not going to help most of you guys. Um, But uh, (laughs) Ephesians, uh, uh, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, it's right in there. Um, uh, Ephesians chapter 6. We're going to start tonight. Uh, Actually, I'm going to read for us verses 10 uh, through 12, just to give us the context to remind us of what Paul is saying about this battle. And then we'll launch into verse 13 through 18, which is our text for tonight. So Paul says this, he says, finally be strong in the Lord. He's bringing this letter up to a close and he's saying, finally be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might, not our might, his might. Put on the whole armor of God so that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. And here he defines the battle in verse 12. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, authorities, and against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. And so this is not a battle where it's like friendly competition. This is a battle that the stakes are high and that our enemy wants to kill us. Jesus said of Satan, who is our enemy, he is the spiritual forces. He is the one that is the the embodiment of evil. He's the one that is the embodiment of the enemy of God and the enemy of his people. Jesus said this. He said the enemy wants to steal, kill, and destroy. I like to say that he doesn't doesn't come to just borrow, right, or to just uh, damage, right, Or, or to just dishevel. He comes to steal. He comes to kill, and he comes to destroy. That is his goal. The enemy hates God with all of his being. The enemy hates us because we are God's. 
with all of his, okay, God's G-O-D apostrophe S. We belong to God, not because we are God's. Let's keep things orthodox, okay? Eddie, one of our elders is in the back. He's checking on me. So thank you, Eddie. I appreciate that. I saw a little uh, eyebrow raise. So I had to, I had to, had to clarify that one, right? Satan hates you if you follow Jesus. This isn't a game for him. This is not even life and death for him. This is eternal life or eternal death. It's a big deal. This is bigger than even 2020. It's bigger than our circumstances. It's bigger than our jobs. It's bigger than our roommates. It's bigger than our relationships. It's bigger than the election. It's bigger than any of these things. It is life and death, eternal life and death. And Satan is looking squarely at you and you are his enemy. This is the battle. Paul defines it for us with those words. And so in verse 13, he says, therefore, so he's going to say, here's the battle. Let me define it for you. It's really big. It's really bad. Therefore, here's what I want you to do about it. He's already told us to put on the whole armor of God in verse 11, but in 13, he repeats himself. Now, one of the things, if you're reading the Bible and you begin to notice repetition, uh, it is not the authors that like, you know, they're writing on their papyrus and then they get busy and then they come back to it and forgot what they wrote about. No, these are men that are led by the Holy Spirit to write what they are writing. And, and when they write with repetition, they're trying to clue us into the fact that this stuff matters deeply. So he's saying, put on the full armor of God. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Now, we talk about this armor of God, and I don't know kind of what your church background is. I don't know where you come from uh, in terms of your faith journey. Maybe you're new to Christianity, and this, this phrase is new to you. Uh, maybe you've been in the church for, for years and years, and, and, and you've heard people talk about the, the armor of God, and they've listed off the different pieces of the armor, which Paul is going to get to, and we're going to talk about tonight. And, and what Paul uses is he uses an illustration of a, a military, uh, and during that time, probably a Roman centurion who would have armor that would be able to uh, uh, engage in a battle but be protected in the midst of that and be able to use his weapons of warfare. And so Paul is going to use that. And I don't know what you think uh, about when you think of the armor of God, but when I was a kid growing up, uh, we, we literally like talked about practicing putting on the armor of God like you know, as a part of our prayer life that we're like, well, I, I don't want to forget the, the sword of the spirit or the breastplate of righteousness, right? And, and I was one of those rambunctious kids growing up where like everything, if I could like uh, at all connect something to, to like war or fighting or battles, it was like big bonus material for me. So like for, for me, the way to, to preach the gospel to me was through violence in some strange way. And so my mom knew this about me. And one Christmas, I, I remember it so vividly. I, there was this one box that I really wanted to open so bad because it was kind of bigger than what I would typically get. And I don't know why children rank order gift uh, value by size, right? Uh, but, but man, this big box was under the tree and I just could not wait to open it up. And when I opened this box, I didn't even know such a thing existed, but I was so stoked because my mom had given me a full armor of God set. It was made of genuine 100% Chinese plastic. 
And I was so excited because now I could, not just spiritually, but physically, I could embody the full armor of God. And I actually have just an image of this. And my buddy Danny also was given the same, the same gift, um, as a child. And so this is me and Danny, uh, together with the full armor of God. But I mean, like how cheesy and chintzy is this stuff? Like it's legitimately, it's plastic. I guarantee you that sword was broken on Christmas day. Okay. Cause I was like whacking a tree or an animal or something and the, the sword broke in half, but man, I was so stoked. You guys can put uh, Ephesians back up there. Help us all, Lord Jesus. Uh, seeing bearded child Joel uh, with the armor. Photoshop is amazing. Um, but when we think about the armor of God, a lot of times we really do kind of think of it in those terms. This, this concept that, that we're, we're fighting this battle and there are these pieces of armor are things that we add on so that we can engage in this fight. And, and what I want to demonstrate tonight is that what Paul is about to unpack for us is so much bigger and so much more valuable than that. I think a lot of times we, we, we piecemeal this armor out and we say, hey, we've got uh, we've to work on the different aspects of this armor. And I think what Paul is trying to say is something so much more beautiful. So, so here's what he says. He says, take up the whole armor of God, so not just a piece um, of, of this armor, so that you may be able to withstand the evil day and having done all to stand firm. So he's already said, Uh, that we will withstand, that we will stand firm. Verse 14, stand therefore, is anyone noticing some more repetition? What word are we hearing over and over again? Stand, well done, it's not Jesus. That's usually the right answer, but in that case, it was stand. So you guys are tracking with me, I appreciate that. So uh, we're hearing, first of all, withstand, having done all, stand firm, and then stand therefore. So What is Paul talking about? He's talking about standing firm, withstanding, and standing therefore in place. And so is Paul really talking about something that we are engaging in offensively? Or is he talking about something that we are engaging in defensively? This is defense. Because when an army is advancing and another army has to stand and stand firm... This is the language that Paul is using. He's saying, stand therefore, because what we have to recognize is that our enemy is on the attack, that our enemy wants to kill us, that our enemy is active, that he is not a passive enemy just waiting for us to goof up, but that our enemy is actually engaging with us, whether we recognize it or not. And so Paul is saying this in a defensive posture. He's saying, I want you to stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace, in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith. And here's our clue, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take up the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And here we have the armor. So what what do we have here? We have the armor of God that is the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, the shoes that are readiness through the gospel of peace, 
We have the shield of faith. We have the helmet of salvation. And we have the sword of the spirit. So Paul lists six things, but these six things comprise one thing. And that is the armor of God. Now, this is already super helpful, the way that Paul is unpacking this for us, because he's connecting this armor in metaphor to the elements of the truth of what we know and the gospel and who God is, so that we recognize when we engage against the enemy in this battle, here are the things that we're going to need to do so. And if it were only that cool, that would be awesome. It could preach. We could be encouraged by that. But it's even more amazing. Because what Paul is doing here, and and oftentimes, as you read the New Testament, what you will begin to realize, especially when you begin to study the New Testament, is that the New Testament writers are not just pulling these things out of thin air, but what they're doing is they're pointing back to what God had already revealed hundreds and hundreds, and sometimes in some cases over a thousand years previously through the authors of the Hebrew Bible, or what we call the Old Testament, through the authors of the Old Testament scripture, God had already revealed some things that help us understand what the New Testament writers are now illuminating. And so listen to this. What Paul is connecting all of these pieces of the armor of God to is is some messianic prophecy. And that just is simply prophecy that relates to the Messiah And we know who the Messiah is. The Messiah is, see, you're on your toes. At that time, Jesus was the right answer. So well played. Okay, so this Messiah, who is Jesus, Paul is making an allusion to him through the way that the the armor of God actually unfolds. Let's go back to that allusion in the prophet, uh, uh, in the book of Isaiah, one of of the Old Testament major prophets, uh, Isaiah chapter 59, and, uh, well, I don't, I don't need to, I guess I don't need to tell you a page number, do I? Because you guys aren't using it. All right, so, but for your just fun, it's 690. All right, uh, I don't know. I wrote these pages down for myself, and I feel like I have to share them with you. It's on the notes, you get it. All right, so Isaiah chapter 59, let me kind of uh, help set the, the kind of the context of what is Isaiah writing into. Isaiah's writing to the nation of Israel, uh, there is an empire called Assyria, and Assyria is uh, growing and growing in power, and God is going to use the nation of Assyria to, to bring judgment to the nation of Israel because Israel is continuing to break their covenant with God. They're continuing to worship other gods. They're continuing to suppress the poor. They're doing all sorts of things that God is asking in through his revealed word, the law, that God has asked them not to do, and they're not doing things that God has asked them to do, and they're forsaking the God of their fathers, and they're turning to idols. And for all of these reasons, God, because of his grace and mercy, brings a nation to lead Israel into captivity so that they can become free again, right? God is using many times, and he does this, where he'll use external circumstances to remind us of our need for him. And so just as Assyria is getting ready to invade Jerusalem, to invade Israel, uh, uh, Isaiah is writing these words. And what he's going to do is he's going to demonstrate, here is what is going on that is wrong, but also God is not 
going to allow the story to end here. God will be faithful to his covenant, even though you have broken your covenant with him. So uh, picking up in verse 14 of Isaiah 59, again, here's the problem. Verse 14, justice is turned back and righteousness stands far away. For truth has stumbled in the public squares and uprightness cannot enter. Truth is lacking and he who departs uh, from evil makes himself a prey. The Lord saw it and it displeased him that there was no justice. He saw that there was no man and wondered uh, that there was no one to intercede. So the nation of Israel is in rebellion. They're oppressing people. There's no justice and no one is standing up and doing what is right. But God does not allow the story to end there. Second half of verse 16. Then his own arm brought him salvation and his righteousness upheld him. Verse 17. He put on righteousness as a breastplate and a helmet of salvation on his head. He put on garments of vengeance for clothing and wrapped himself in in zeal as a cloak according to their deeds. So he will repay wrath to his adversaries, repayment to his enemies, to the coastlands. He will uh, render repayment so they shall fear the name of the Lord from the west and his glory from the rising of the sun. For he will come like a rushing stream, which the wind of the Lord drives and a redeemer will come to Zion. Those and to those in Jacob who turn from transgression declares the Lord. So this is a Psalm that points us forward to the Messiah, the one who would come and bring about justice, the one who would come and uphold a covenant. In fact, that this covenant would not be a covenant that would depend on the people's obedience, but it would be an everlasting covenant that God was, would establish. It would be a new and better covenant. And, and Isaiah alludes to this in verse 21. He says, and as for me, this is my covenant with them, says the Lord, my spirit that is upon you and my words that I have put in your mouth shall not depart out of your mouth or out of the mouth of your offspring or out of the mouth of your children's offspring, says the Lord, from this time now and forevermore. God is saying, I'm going to bring a new and better covenant and I'm going to put my Holy Spirit in you and I'm going to write my law on your heart and my words will not depart from your mouth. This is a new and better covenant. But how does God accomplish this? Go back to verse 17, 18, 19, and 20. That this redeemer that verse 20 alludes to is going to put on the breastplate of righteousness and a helmet of salvation. And he's going to clothe himself in armor. And he is going to be the one that brings righteousness and justice to bear on earth. And this is a picture that gives us only one person. And his name is Jesus. So Isaiah Uh, this is uh, just a little bit over 700 years before Jesus comes to bear, prophesies about one who will come and put on a breastplate of righteousness and a helmet of salvation and bring justice and a new covenant. And so when Paul, let's go back uh, into Ephesians and remember that when Paul begins to talk about this armor of God, who is he alluding to? That this belt of truth, this breastplate of righteousness, that's a direct quote that he lifts from Isaiah. These shoes that are ready through the gospel of peace, this shield of faith, this helmet of salvation, the sword of the spirit. Who makes all of these things 
a reality. Jesus does. Jesus is the one who says, I am the way, I am the truth. Jesus is the one who becomes our righteousness so that in him we can become the righteousness of God. Jesus is the one who gives us the gospel of peace. Jesus says, peace I give to you, peace I leave with you. Let not your heart be troubled. Jesus says, uh, it, it is I, am who, I who am going to give you faith. The disciples say, Jesus, I, I want to believe, but help my unbelief. And who is our faith for salvation in? It is Jesus. The, the helmet of salvation, that salvation comes only through Christ. And that the spirit that we have is only given to us through Christ. Jesus said, it's better for you that I go. And when I go, I'm going to send to you who? The Holy Spirit. And so this armor of God that we have is the armor of putting on Christ. In fact, Paul says it this way. He says in Romans chapter 13, verse 14, Paul says this. He says, rather clothe yourself with the Lord Jesus Christ. So Jesus is truly the embodiment of the armor of God. That all of these things are realized in our lives as we fix our eyes and lock into who Jesus is and what he is doing in us and what he's gonna continue to do in us. And as we fight this battle against the enemy of God, we don't do it with our own strength. We don't do it with our own weapons. We don't do it with our own ability. But no, instead we clothe ourselves with Jesus and we engage in the Battle. Remember what Jesus did at the very beginning of his ministry. You can look this up in Luke chapter four. Before you go to bed tonight, read it before you hit, your head hits the pillow and read about what Jesus does as the Holy Spirit drives him out into the wilderness. And over and over again, the enemy speaks to him about his identity and says, if you be the son of God, then prove it in this way. Or I'll give you all of these things that by the way, Jesus already deserved if only you'll worship me. Or if you are truly the son of God, then, then do this and then, then all will know. And, and, and what does Jesus do in response? Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, empowered by the Holy Spirit, led by the Holy Spirit. What does he do? Every time, with every temptation, what does he do? He says, it is written. It is said. And he quotes scripture. And so what Jesus does in the temptation is as the flaming darts are coming at him, he is responding, empowered by the Holy Spirit, with the word of God, in the person of who God has called him to be, within his identity as the son of God, and he defeats the schemes of the enemy. And if it just stopped at the temptation in the wilderness, that would be cool enough. But read it in Luke chapter 4, right after the temptation, what does the Holy Spirit, who drove him into the wilderness, then lead Jesus to do? The Spirit leads him into Galilee to begin his ministry. And so Jesus embodies for us the fight that is against Satan, which allows us to withstand his attacks. And then after going on defense, withstanding his attacks, 
It doesn't stop there. Then we go on offense and we go into Galilee. We go to where God has called us. We go into Orlando. We go into the theme park. We go into wherever God calls us. We go into our apartment. We go into our uh, family environment, wherever God has called us. And we live on mission, putting Jesus on being filled by, led by the Holy Spirit, and we engage not just in defending ourselves against against the enemy, but we engage in what Jesus said the church would do. When, When Peter realized that Jesus and recognized by the Holy Spirit that Jesus is the Messiah, what did Jesus say? On this rock, I'm gonna build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against you. What are gates supposed to be for? Defense. And what is Jesus inviting the church to go do? To storm the very gates of hell. Full of the armor of God, clothed with Christ, empowered by the Holy Spirit, storming the gates of hell, bringing the good news of the gospel everywhere we go, inviting people to join the family of God, snatching people who Satan has them eternally damned snatching people from the fire of hell and inviting them in to heaven for eternity. That we get to take part in this cosmic battle that is not against flesh and blood, but is against the enemy of God, that we partner with Jesus, we live on mission with him as we are empowered by the Holy Spirit, that we have put on Christ our Messiah and we storm the gates of hell and say, hey, listen here, We are not going to stand for the works of the enemy anymore because Jesus has won the victory. Jesus, life, death, and resurrection has made it possible for us to defeat the enemy of God in our lives, not by our own strength, but that Jesus is victorious in and through you and me when we're tempted and when we go out on mission. The armor of God is not just, I gotta work on my faith. I gotta try to be righteous. I gotta remember salvation. I gotta do all of these things. No, the armor of God is putting on Christ Jesus, being empowered by the Holy Spirit, being able to defend against the schemes of the enemy and going and taking the ground that he had, but that God is inviting us to move the kingdom forward into. What a privilege, right? It's so much cooler than a cheap uh, Chinese plastic set, right? I've got nothing against China or the Chinese. That's uh, it's just, it's just where it, it came from. I don't know why that, that's such a distraction, right? You were with me until that part, right? But caveat, got nothing against China or the Chinese, all right? But hear me, hear me when I say this the invitation to be a part of the battle that is not just here now. It is eternal. It's not just about this life, but it's about eternal life. It is here and it is here for us every single day. You have an enemy who wants you dead. Don't stand for that. Instead, stand with the armor of God who is Christ that you can clothe yourself with and then join the battle. Because listen, this life is a vapor of smoke. 2020 is gonna be gone soon, praise, right? But this life is gonna be over. 
And at the end of the day, I want to hear Jesus look me in the eye and say, Joel, well done, good and faithful servant. You join the battle. I empowered you. I gave you everything you needed, but you join the battle. And I want to say, yes, Lord. So let's do that. Let's do that tonight. Let's do that tomorrow. Let's do that this week. Let's do that as 2020 ends. This world that we're living in, you guys, it is crazy. People are unsure. They're unsure about their jobs. They're unsure about our future as a nation. They're unsure about all of these things. And you know what? We actually have something to bring to the table and his name is Jesus. Let me pray for us. God, thank you so much uh, for your love for us. God, I thank you for your word. I thank you that the apostle Paul wrote 2,000 years ago, this incredible invitation for us to journey into the battle, into the fray, unafraid because you are with us, unafraid because Jesus, you have given yourself, your life, that that your death on the cross and, and your resurrection has secured the victory. This is not a losing battle. This is a battle that we know is won in you. So God, I pray that we would all embark on this invitation to stand firm, knowing that it is you who have given us righteousness and peace and faith in the spirit of God, and the word of God, You've given us your gospel and that it is all embodied by you, Jesus. So help us, God, to clothe ourselves with Christ every single day. And God, we trust that what, whatever it is that you call us into, God, whether we are withstanding the attacks of the enemy, whether we are withstanding uh, the reality of our circumstances, or whether we have an opportunity to step into the life of another person who does not yet know you, Jesus, and take ground from God's enemy as we declare who you are. God, I pray that we would be men and women who would preach this cosmic sermon everywhere that we go. God, we put our trust in you. We put our hope in you. We know that we can't do this alone, that we need to depend on you. So help us do that in Jesus' name.